Samuel chapter number 13. Now, we're not going to really read a whole lot in chapter 13, but I want to give you an idea of what's going on uh, in the passage to give you the context of the message. 1 Samuel chapter number 13, we'll look down uh, somewhere around uh, verse number 8. We'll see where uh, the Bible says that as Saul prepared for battle, that Samuel tarried. And basically, there's a sacrifice that needed to be made. And because Saul got impatient, he decided to offer the sacrifice himself. He stepped out of the will of God to do that. And the Bible says in chapter 13, if you'll look down at verse number 11, Samuel says, what hast thou done? Uh, the preacher comes up and asks him what's he's do, what he did, and he says, well, because the people were getting impatient and I was getting impatient, that I went ahead and made the sacrifice. And chapter number thir- uh, verse number 13, we see where God's man says, thou hast done foolishly. We see Saul beginning to stray away from the will of God for his life and what God has called him to do. If you turn to chapter number 15, in chapter number 15, we see where God commands Saul to destroy the Amalekites and Saul was incomplete in his obedience to God. And if you look over chapter 15, verse number 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with thee, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. So because of his disobedience, God pulls the throne and the crown away from Saul. And in chapter 16, we see where God selects young David to be king. In chapter number 16, verse number 12, the Bible says that they brought David in. And God says, there's the man, and anoint him, for this is he. So God chose David to be the new king. Chapter 17, you know it well, to where David kills Goliath. But To get real quickly to chapter number 27, obviously Saul is not excited about being replaced. Uh, Saul is kind of like our politicians that we have uh, today up there in Washington. He did not believe in term limits, and so he did not like the fact that God was replacing him and was always trying to take out his successor in David. And David was constantly running for his life, but we'll see all throughout Scripture how David honored Saul's authority and David refused to kill him. We're going to pick up in chapter number 27. The Bible says this. This is after David has despaired from constantly running from Saul. And David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Last verse, verse 3, and David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. Now let's stop, let's pray, and let's open our hearts and ask God to give us what we need. Father, I do thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the great singing, the great spirit. Thank you for all those that have come out today. Lord, you've prepared something for every one of us. Looking forward to what you have for me. Looking forward to what you want to do in the hearts of all here. Help us surrender over our will right now. We're going to do whatever you, Lord, require of us in the service. I pray your will be done today, and I do lift up the many who are carrying burdens this morning, particularly the Hibbets family. We ask that you to be with them in a great way, be with the many that are out this morning because of illness, and Lord, just pray that you're glorified through all that's done, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> you know, as a pastor, or maybe a preacher, I don't think you have to be a pastor, 
But as a preacher, I have the spiritual gift of being able to make short stories long. Amen. I appreciate it, Brother Edwards. He amen that. He's the only honest man in here this morning. He amen when I said that. Uh, oftentimes, as a preacher, as a pastor, uh, in a desire to explain things and make things clear, sometimes it has the reverse effect. And uh, as we try to present the truths of God's will with clarity, we actually end up sometimes complicating things. I was thinking about when my daughter got saved. Uh, it was a revival. I was preaching over in, uh, matter of fact, Brother Timothy Laird's dad's church. And um, my daughter came back on a Tuesday night and says, Dad, uh, so when I die, where am I going? She was five or six at the time. There you are. I was looking for you. Five or six at the time. And uh, I says, well, you know, one day the Holy Spirit of God is going to knock on your heart's door. And when he does, you come talk to mom and dad. And mom and dad will take the word of God and show you how you can know for sure if you died, you go to heaven. About 10 minutes later, she says, well, what if, what if I died right now? Where am I going? I says, look, one day the Holy Spirit of God is going to knock on your heart's door. He's going to let you know. And you come to talk to mom and dad. So she walked away. A few minutes later, she come back and she says, but I'm afraid if I died now that I wouldn't go. And we could tell very clearly this was the Holy Spirit beginning to deal with her heart. Look, I'm just going to be straight up with you. When I lead other people to the Lord, I have at times been somewhat mechanical Start going down the Romans road and just going through it and explaining it with clarity and, and then, you know, let the Holy Spirit do his job. But I, look, when it's your own kid, you kind of feel responsible to get it really right this time, okay? I'm just being honest. I remember I sat down, opened the Bible, and began to show her the Romans road. I took a wordless book out of my wallet and began to show her and talk about the substitutionary death of Christ and uh, how he was the propitiation for our sins and all of this. She says, Dad, I, I just want to ask the Lord to save me. I'm fixing to show you how low you can get as a preacher spiritually. I almost uttered the words, it's not that easy. And I realized it was. And I was the guy that was complicating things. Sometimes we can complicate the word and the will of God. Now look, the word and the will of God, there are deep things in the word of God, deep things in the will of God that we've got to learn to walk with God and discern his will. But today I want to simplify a very, very simple truth that we all need to be able to grasp before we leave here today. And that simple truth is this, that every one of us, when we walk out of those doors today, will please someone. Now, I don't know about you, my desire when I stand behind this pulpit and my desire when I preach the word of God is to please the Lord. That's the overshadowing motivation of my heart is I want to please the Lord. And I'll tell you this today, that it's a wonderful place when you can get to in your life to where your primary concern is to please God. I've gotten caught up in pleasing people. I've gotten caught up in pleasing man, and I've gotten up and please, uh, caught up in pleasing preachers. But ultimately, I desire to please the Lord in the service today. And in spite of what others think and what people say, and in spite of what I like or what the world accepts, it's a wonderful place when you can get to the place where you desire simply to please God. In essence, to make God smile. I'm 39 years old. My mom and dad are here. And I'll be honest with you, it still kind of uh, moves the meter of my heart a little bit when I make my mom and dad smile. 
Kind of moves the meter of my heart when my wife says, honey, I appreciate that. You did good. I went and bought her a glass pumpkin yesterday. I just said, you know what? That looks like my wife, and I bought it for her, and Miley and I wrapped it up and put it in the bag and brought it to her, and boy, she just got a big smile on her face. It was pleasing to her, and man, it just kind of made my heart flutter uh, that I had pleased my wife. It's something that maybe I don't do as often as I should, but all oh, the thought this morning of pleasing God that we be motivated to just do the will of God today. I'm not going to do what, uh, what I want to do today in the service, which might be to turn the preacher off and just count the minutes till we leave. I'm not going to do what everybody else wants to do. I'm simply going to please God in this service. What a great place that is when you can get there. Now, I wish I could tell you this morning that I always yielded to that, but sometimes even that is not enough to contain my will. I will override what God wants to do for what I want to do. And unfortunately, sometimes I knowingly proceed against what I know my father does not wish for me. So this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to flip the script a little bit, if we could. And, and, and oftentimes, look, we, we should be motivated by pleasing God. But here's what I want you to think about. Have you ever thought about how often our actions and our disobedience and our resistance to the will of God pleases the devil? Have you ever thought about that? Now look, you ought to be motivated to please God this morning in all that we do, but have you ever thought that when we displease God, we're actually making the devil smile? And we're pleasing him because, look, we cannot please both at the same time. You cannot reject Christ and reject God and reject his word and reject his will without the devil smiling about it. The truth of the matter is this this morning, when we walk out of here, we will have pleased someone today. You will either please God or you're going to make the devil smile. Now, 1 Samuel chapter, number, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27, we see David about to make some decisions that please the one who's out to get him. David makes some decisions in 1 Samuel chapter number 27 that please the one who had been in the pursuit of him. And even though David didn't necessarily consider Saul his enemy, Saul considered David his enemy. And the decision that David makes in, in verse 1, verse number 2, were very pleasing unto Saul. I want you to imagine as Saul pursues David and tries to run David out of town, and as Saul would get reports from all of his, his riders of what David was doing, how it must have pleased the heart of Saul to see David making the mistakes that he's about to make. And then I begin to think this morning, how often in my life have I resisted the will of God and I've resisted the word of God and not done what God would have me to do? And when, when Satan's little imps would go back and report to him that Jeremiah Andrews resisted the will of God today, how it must have made the devil smile. Jeremiah Andrews did not spend time in the word of God today or Jeremiah Andrews did not walk with God today and they go back and report to him, master, he's ignoring his God again and how it must have made the devil smile. This morning, I want to look at three things in chapter number 27. I may only give you two. We're going to look at three things this morning on three ways that David pleased the enemy. And this morning, the message is simply this, three ways to make Satan smile. Three ways that we can make Satan smile. Now, understand, somebody will smile when you walk out of this service today. <clears throat> not, <clears throat> not just you. 
You will either make God smile because you were obedient to his will, his word, and his way, or you'll make Satan smile because you rejected that. So let's learn from David in chapter 27, and I believe there's something that we could do here in this short time we'll be together to please the Lord. So look at verse number one. As David runs from Saul, we can see his panic. David's tired of running. Saul's tried to kill him, and we can see he's getting a little bit paranoid. And in chapter 27, verse 1, we see David going into self-preservation mode. The Bible says, and David said in his heart, here's what he's doing. David says, I've been running from Saul. Saul's trying to kill me. And David says, I've got to take drastic measures, evasive maneuvers is what David's doing. So he decides to take things into his own hands. Now, this is dangerous this morning. Understand that when we take matters into our own hands, we are taking them out of God's, okay? Rather than live and decide and move based on the will of God for his life and the discernment of the Holy Spirit, David all of a sudden decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. The first mistake that made the enemy smile is the same one we often make, number one. Notice he excluded God. I want you to see this this morning. Pay close attention. You'll see it. The Bible says David said in his heart. David said in his heart. David didn't inquire of God. David didn't go to the man of God. David decided, you know what? I've got to preserve myself. David says, I've got to take matters into my own hands. And so David gave himself advice on the direction that he should go. But notice David did not consult God about this. I believe it makes Satan so happy this morning and it makes him smile when we take matters into our own hands. When we allow the circumstances of life and the things that seem to be caving in on us, we allow the circumstances to help us take matters into our own hands rather than turn to God and see what God would have us do. Now understand this, folks, this morning. I believe it delights the devil when we exclude God from the plans that we make for our life. When the devil sees us sit down with our weekly calendar. The devil sees us sit down with our daily calendar or even our life's calendar. How often that calendar does not include God. I want you to think about the things you plan on doing this week. I'll promise you the things that you plan on doing are things that are important to you. The problem is so often as we plan our day and our week and we plan out our life, those plans exclude God. Now understand, the more that we push God out of our life and do not include God in the direction and decisions for our homes, the more we make the devil smile. I told someone a while back, a lot of times as a pastor, I feel like a spiritual coroner. A spiritual coroner. Why? Because oftentimes we don't get the phone call until it's too late. You know, a coroner declares someone dead. Okay, that's a coroner. I would rather be a paramedic. I'd rather get called to the scene when there's still a chance that life might be preserved and that home might be saved. But so often we get called to the scene and the only thing left that we can do is says it's gone, it's over, it's dead. And the reason it got to that place is because so much of our life's plans and our home's plans were excluding God. David's going to get into a pickle here in just a few minutes all because he excluded God from the decision that he was about to make. Now, here's what's interesting. I was studying this out this morning. 
It bears noticing that David's greatest victories, listen close, were God's. And his greatest defeats were his. His greatest victories in his life were God's, and his greatest defeats were his. Can I tell you, that's my testimony. The greatest victories in my life belong to God. And the greatest defeats that have come to me in my life, they were all mine, authored by Jeremiah Andrews. Let me prove that to you. Turn back 10 chapters to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17, we see something we know very well, something very familiar to us in the life of David. 1 Samuel 17, let's look down. Uh, Let's see, let's look down to verse number 33. So David is preparing to go fight Goliath. Wouldn't you say this morning that Goliath was one of David's greatest victories? I think he looked back to that oftentimes in his life. I would. Verse 33, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against the Philistine, to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. He arose against me, and I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Watch close verse 37. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion. Notice who he said delivered him from the lion. He said it was the Lord. Some of his greatest victories, the lion and the bear. Go on, you look down at verse number, uh, let's look on down real quickly. Look down at verse number 38. Saul armed David with his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head and he also armed him with a coat of mail. So Saul's trying to help David out, but David knows better than that. We look down to verse number 45. The Bible says, as David speaks to Goliath, David said to the Philistine, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of what? Of the Lord. There it is. David is saying, look, I'm going in the power of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Verse number 47, and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. Notice there was a great victory. He killed the lion, he killed the bear, and he killed Goliath. And how many times do we see in this great victory that David included the Lord? Understand this. We wonder why we don't have victory. I'm not trying to oversimplify this this morning. We wonder why we do not have victory in joy and peace and contentment in our life. It's because so much of our life excludes the Lord. The victory came from the fact, because David knew it was going to be the Lord. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold your place in 1 Samuel. I'm going to have you turn a lot this morning. Your fingers are going to get their exercise today. Turn to 2 Samuel 11. 2 Samuel 11. I want you to see this. 1 Samuel 17, we see one of David's greatest victories, and we see how often the Lord was included 2 Samuel 11, we see probably David's greatest defeat. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass after the year was expired, the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab. Let me tell you what's about to happen here. David should be at war. 
But David's decided he's going to stay home instead of doing what he knows to do. And while he's at home, he sees a woman bathing on the roof. He lusted after the woman. He inquired after the woman. He had her brought to the castle, committed adultery with her. A child was conceived. So to cover it up, he would murder her husband. One of David's greatest, if not his greatest, defeat. But here's what I want you to notice. Verse 1 says David sent Joab to war, basically. Verse 2, and it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose off of his bed. Verse 3, and David sent and inquired after the woman. Verse 4, and David sent messengers. Verse 6, and David sent unto Joab. And so on and so on and so on. It's amazing what you do not see in 2 Samuel 11 that you did see in 1 Samuel 17. You see, David, 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 David led to defeat, and the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord led to victory. Understand this this morning, folks. We don't have the victory that we should. We don't have the victory that we could, because so often in our lives, they exclude God. We don't have room for God in there, and I'll tell you this, it makes the devil smile. I was writing out my notes, and I'm not a poet, okay? I'm not a poet, but every once in a while, you know, a blind sile can find an acorn, as I wrote this out, it rhymes, so I'm going to give it to you this morning. Favorite part of Satan's day is convincing you to push God away. The favorite part of Satan's day is when he convinces you that you don't need God tomorrow morning before you go to work. The favorite part of Satan's day and how he gets a smile on his face is when he convinces you that you don't need to be in God's house on Sunday. It's the favorite part of his day. It makes him smile when we push God out of our plans. That's why we have so much trouble in our homes. That's why we have so much trouble with our children, why we have so much trouble in our country. It's because there's no room for God. We've excluded God, and oh, how that makes the devil smile. When David defeated Goliath, he knew he could not do it. He was going to have to depend on God. But here's our problem. We look at the world and we look at the calling of God upon our lives and we think that we can do it. We think that we can hold our homes together. We think that we can raise our children right and we exclude God from the equation and yet we wonder why things crash and burn. Look, the needs that we have in our life is beyond us. We've got to include God. God's got to be in the dead center of this thing or we're going to end up in our second Samuel chapter 11 at our greatest defeats. Brother Brent told us a moment ago about Miss Janelle, and uh, boy, it's amazing what a week may hold, is it not? And by the way, I appreciate Miss Janelle's attitude and her spirit so much. She said, I went to her house the other night when we got the phone call about the brain tumor, and I asked her dad, could I tell her about this, and he felt like it would be all right. And I asked her, I said, how did you know? How did you know? She said, well, I had a headache. I had two headaches and just didn't feel right, and so I decided to go to the doctor. I just felt like, you know, this is, this is different. This is beyond me. I need to go see somebody who, who could help me diagnose this. And I thought to myself, how many times do I have a headache on a daily basis? And I just, you know, I just need to drink some more coffee. That's the answer to everything, isn't it? Just go drink some more coffee. And yet she realized, she had the wherewithal to realize this is beyond me. I need to seek out some help on this. And the doctor says it's a brain tumor. Folks, how often in our life are things not quite right and we just ignore them? Just ignore it. I'll take care of it. I think I can fix it. I think I can hold things together. When these problems are beyond us, look, they're spiritual problems that can only be solved spiritually, and yet we think we can solve them by having more money. 
I just had a bigger job and a better job and more money, all of my problems will go away. No, oftentimes we have financial problems is because we have spiritual problems. They can't be fixed with money. We've got to fix them the only way that we can fix them, by putting God back into the mix. This is why the Bible tells us in Psalms, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Notice the outcome, turned into hell. Why? Because they forget God. Folks, understand, you can do your dead-level best, but your dead-level best is not good enough without God. You exclude him from the mix, you're going to find this morning, not only does Satan smile, but it's going to be turned into hell, as the Scripture tells us. We had a staff meeting this week, uh, longest meeting I think I've ever been in, eight hours, and uh, they survived and didn't revolt and didn't call the cops on us. It was good. We were talking about the plans for the year and the organization for the year and the program for the year and even revealed the New Year's theme to them. I'm very excited about that. But I made it a point to tell all of our staff and the team that we have to work with here at Central, we can put together the greatest program and the greatest organization and assemble the greatest group of talent the world has ever seen inside one church. But if we neglect to keep God in the middle of it, it'll come to naught. We can't exclude God. We exclude God. That's when we get to the place where Satan smiles because he knows the outcome. The church at Ephesus had left their first love. In Psalms 106, we see it repeated with Israel. The Bible says they forget their God, their Savior, that had done mighty works for them in Israel. What happened? Number one, the way that you make Satan smile is excluding God. The Bible says David said in his heart, he says, you know what, I think I need to make a decision. I think I may make a, an evasive maneuver. But he excluded God in the council. Now watch what happens as a result of that. And David said in his heart, <clears throat> I shall now perish. So now not only is David giving himself advice, he's giving him bad, self bad advice. <laughs> Look, I like advice, but I don't like bad advice. You know, I've gotten some bad advice. I won't tell you about it, but boy, I've gotten some bad advice since I've been here. You know, it kind of leads you to trouble. <laughs> David says, I shall now perish. Now, here's what's interesting. Before David could come to the wrong conclusion, can I tell you what he had to climb over? Before David could reach the place where he's giving himself bad advice, he had to climb over 1 Samuel 16. Now, let me tell you what 1 Samuel 16 says. In 1 Samuel 16, God tells Samuel, anoint him because he's going to be king. God had already declared that David was going to be king. But David has overridden the word of God based on how he feels and left God out of the equation. Number two, the second thing you can do this morning to make Satan smile is overlook God's word. In order for David to come to this wrong conclusion, he was going to have to overlook what God had already said. Now, let me tell you this. I'm sure David felt this way. Somebody's dogging you and running you down all the time and trying to kill you. I hope that doesn't happen to you on a regular basis. I really don't. But if it does, I mean, after a while, you would despair. But can I tell you, God had already stated he would be king God's word was already clear. There was no need for David to fret or to worry because of what God had already said. Now understand this this morning. I believe it makes the day of the devil when he sees God's people choose what they think over what God has already said. David says, well, I feel scared. I'm sure he did. David says, things don't look good. I've only got 600 men. 
But in spite of the circumstances and besides how he felt, God had already spoken. Now let me give you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm not going to turn there, but listen close. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 5. The Bible says, Paul speaking, says, when we came to Macedonia, that there was trouble on every side. You ever feel that way? You ever have a day where you feel like the armies have aligned against you, the stars have aligned against you, the government's aligned against you, and everything just seems to be going bad? Well, Paul says we had a day like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, when we came to Macedonia, there was trouble on every side. Listen to what he says. Without were fightings, within were fears. Without were fightings, within were fears. Have you ever had a day like that? Where you were taking it from all fronts. You were taking it on the inside and you were taking it on the outside. And oh, how frightening that is. You know what the temptation is? To quit on God. That's the temptation. But I want you to know, listen to me this morning. Your only hope is to stick with him. That's the only hope. Paul knew what God had called him to do, and the only way Paul would weather the fightings that were on the outside and the fears that were on the inside was to stick with what God had told him to do. I had had breakfast with my daughter yesterday, went out on a date, and uh, yesterday morning I said, look, let's go out on a date together, and let's go eat some food that we don't normally eat. And so we did. Mom was up here decorating the church, and so we took the debit card and had a ball yesterday. Amen. We had, um, we had Italian coffee, Swedish desserts, let's see, uh, Asian tea, and we finished it off with some French macarons, and, and of course, we had to go back to America and got some French fries from McDonald's. So we just kind of went around the world yesterday, a culinary tour of Hattiesburg. We sat there yesterday, we were talking about the Lord and opportunity for dad to try to be a blessing to his daughter. We sat there, I said, Miley, I want you to know The boy is a preacher's kid, and just as a Christian in general, there are times it's going to get hot on the outside. At times, you're going to have fears on the inside. But the word I told her yesterday, I says, don't flinch. Don't flinch. See, what the devil wants you to do when he starts piling on is he wants you to abandon what you know God has already said and to go with the way that you feel that's suicide. When you abandon what you know God has already said for how you feel or how the circumstances state things are going to be, that's when you flinch and that's when you become roadkill. You ever been going down the road and there's a little rabbit on the side of the road or maybe a squirrel? And they're just sitting there enjoying their day. The sun is shining and they're eating some grass there along the edge of the ditch. And they're fine if they just stay put. And then all of a sudden, as the car gets closer, that rabbit begins to look around, and that squirrel, his tail begins to flop up and down, and all of a sudden, right as you get there, he runs out of the road. He was fine where he was if he had just stayed put. Now, folks, it's that way spiritually for us. If we just stay put where we're no, we're supposed to stand, don't allow the circumstances to make us flinch, don't allow our fears to make us flinch, we're going to be fine. But oh, how the devil smiles when we throw out the word of God because of the circumstances. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5, the Bible says this, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to them that put their trust in him. I love the shield aspect, don't you? I love having something to hide behind. 
years ago, 2004. This is interesting. 2004, Brother John Matthews was youth pastor at another church and called and asked me to preach a men's fellowship, a camp out at the Amy River uh, down in Louisiana. And it was a paintball event. I was kind of excited about that. You get to preach, camp out, and shoot at people at the same time. And so I just thought, this is the best of both worlds. So I went down there. And uh, so we get out there in the woods, and I'm creeping through the woods like the sniper that I am, picking people off left and right. And all of a sudden, a paintball whizzes by my head. So I found a, a big old gum tree, and I went and hid behind the gum tree. Now, I've still yet to prove whether it was Brother John or not. And I probably don't need to know because I might have hard feelings against him if it was. But all of a sudden, somebody starts unloading on me. And they're just eating up the tree. And I'm just sitting there. You know, I'm thankful I wasn't as big as I am now because there have been parts hanging out on the side of the tree. So I'm just trying to hide behind the tree. And I'm just, ah! Look, somebody trying to shoot at you. I mean, it was real. It was like war, okay? And I'm sitting there, and I'm safe behind the tree. But all of a sudden, I thought, you know what? I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I said, I think I can make it to that other tree over there. And as soon as I stepped out, I took a shot to the head. I don't know who it was, but man, it was a good shot. I was safe behind the shield. I was okay. But then I allowed the circumstances to cause me to flinch. Now, folks, listen to me. The word of God is our shield. If we stay behind it, we're safe. It's not until you abandon the shield that you get shot. Understand, folks, this morning, it makes the devil, I mean, it makes his day. He probably has a little spring in his step when he sees God's people abandon what God's already said and what they know is truth to go based on their feelings and their circumstances. It's not until we abandon God's word that we really find trouble. You think you've got trouble trying to live by the will and word of God? You haven't seen trouble until you abandon the word of God. You know Romans 8, 28, we quote it all the time. The Bible says, all things work together for good. Now think about this. God can even use our troubles to turn to good. God can take a trouble, God can take a trial, and he can work it for good. But understand this, when you abandon God's word, your troubles are just trouble. They are what they are. It's something that we think we want, but then when we get it, we realize the answer was with what we had. Years ago, my daughter, we were baking cookies together. Once in a while, my wife lets me cook. And uh, I appreciate that. I enjoy that. And uh, she says, I use every pot in the house. And so that's why she doesn't let me cook very often. And we were getting ready to, we were making something that had vanilla extract in it. And my daughter said, mmm, that smells good. She says, can I taste it? I said, no, 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 you don't want that. And she says, yes, yes. Oh, that smells good. I think I want some of that. So as the good dad that I am, I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity for a life lesson. (laughs) So I took just a drop, and I put just a drop. I mean a drop. Do not report me. Remember, statute limitations are up. I dropped it on the spoon, and I gave it to her, and she stuck it in her mouth. Oh, have you ever tried that? You ever tried that? Amen. Some of you almost gave yourself away. She, her face just got contorted. <laughs> she thought she wanted it. It smelled good. But when she got what she wanted, she realized that what she wanted was not what she needed, and she was spitting it out as quick as she could. Now, let me tell you something, folks. Oftentimes, it seems like the easy thing to do to abandon the Word of God that we might fit in with the circumstances and give in to our fears. But I'll trust, trust me, listen, that's when you really find trouble, when you get what you think that you want. 
So number two, what makes Satan smile? It's, it makes the enemy smile when we overlook God's word. I think about the children of Israel this morning when God promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. All they had to do to get it was to stick with his word. Just do what I say. Just do what I say, stick with my word, and I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, after a while, they got tired of God's word, and they looked at the armies that were in the cities, and they said, there is grass, where is grasshoppers in their sight? There's giants there. So they allowed their circumstances to dictate their obedience to the word of God. Watch this. The Bible says that their carcasses fell in the wilderness. I just have to think the devil's smile got bigger and bigger every time another carcass fell. Why did they fall? Because they overlooked God's word. Why did Joshua and Caleb ultimately receive a part of the promised land? Well, because Joshua and Caleb just kept saying, we're going to do what God said. We're just going to do what God said. You know, Central Baptist Church wants God's blessings upon it. We've simply got to resolve to the mantra, we're just going to do what God said. In spite of the circumstances, in spite of how we feel, in spite of how it looks to us, we're going to do what thus saith the Lord and leave the rest up to God. We're just going to camp out behind the shield because when you step out from the shield, that's when you get shot. Matthew chapter 4 is a very familiar passage that always comes to mind when I'm tempted to abandon what God has already made clear. Matthew cha- or Mark chapter number 4, the Bible says that after a long day, Jesus told the disciples, let's get in a boat together and go over the Sea of Galilee. His specific words in verse 35 were, let us pass over to the other side. Now, Jesus is already setting the course. We're going over there. Well, the Bible says the storm begins to blow and the wind begins to blow and the ship was almost full. But Jesus was asleep. They go over to Jesus and wake him up and they ask him if he, if he cared. And he says, of course I care. And he calmed the sea. But here's what I want you to understand. Where did the fear come from? Where did the worry and the doubt come from? Well, they had abandoned what Christ had said because of the circumstances. He had already made clear we're going to the other side. So how do we make Satan smile? Number one, we make Satan smile. As see in verse number one, when David said in his heart, when we exclude God. We make Satan smile, number two, when we overlook what God has already said. The third thing is really sad because you see the culmination of it in verse number two. The Bible says, and David arose... So David gives himself advice, bad advice. It excludes God. And watch what he does in verse 2. David arose and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maot, the king of Gath. Now, does that last word ring a bell with you? Gath. Gath. And you're thinking, where have I heard Gath? Where have I heard Gath? Well, back in 1 Samuel 17, we see that Goliath was from the town of what? Gath. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So David, watch this, David excludes God. He doesn't go to God and ask God what he should do. He decides he can figure out what he needs to do for himself. He excludes God and he overlooks what God has already said, that he's going to be king. So the only thing that's left to do, notice number three, he's forced to accept an alternative to God. He's forced to accept an alternative to God. Now this is sad. When you exclude God... When you don't include God in your reasoning and your decisions, and you exclude God, and you overlook his word, the only thing left to do is find an alternative for God. Now, here's what's sad. You look up the word Achish, and you look up his name. Here's what it means, serpent charmer. Achish was a serpent 
charmer. How sad is it today when we see the people of God turning to the enemy for help? That's what David's doing. He's turning to the people just 10 chapters earlier. He had defeated their giant because he had rejected God. He had not gone to God. He had resolved his issue in his heart. The Bible says that he now has to turn to the enemy for help. We see this happening in the church in America today. We see the church, we have gotten to the place where we are making so many decisions without God. We've excluded God. Even in the church today. And we've taken God's word and we've thrown God's word out because the circumstances are not accepting to his word. So what's the alternative? Well, the only alternative is for us to turn to the world. That's why the church is turning to the world. The truth is we really have two options this morning. It's God or everything else. It's God or everything else. If we don't include God in our life, we don't include God in our, the center of our homes and the center of our churches, the only alternative is for us to turn to the world and start bringing it in. Now, if you'll look over one page to 1 Samuel chapter 28, I want you to see something. 1 Samuel chapter number 28, down in verse number 7, Saul is seeking God's will. Saul is needing some discernment. He's needing some guidance. Chapter 28, verse number seven, the Bible says, then said Saul unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit that I may go to her and inquire of her. Now this woman is known as the witch of Endor. Here's the king, God's man, the one whose God's hand was on that God had chosen. But watch this, because Saul had rejected God, he now has to turn to a witch for counsel. You see, there's no way that you can reject God. He's the, the only alternative to God. Look, is everything else. And we see that David's turning to the serpent charmer. And we see that Saul is turning to the witch of Endor. What's happened? Well, it's just a simple result, result of rejecting God. Of rejecting what God said. Rejecting what God had already preordained and what God desired for what the circumstances had decided. So here's the message, simply this. This morning, we're going to please one of two people. We're going to please God or we're going to please the devil. This morning, we're going to make God smile by being obedient to him or we're going to make the devil smile by rejecting what God has already made known. So my question here this morning is, who are we going to please today? That's what it boils down to as a church. Who are we going to please? Are we going to please the status quo? Are we going to please God Almighty and what his word has already decided? Folks, look, it is sinking sand when you get away from the foundational truths of God's word. We see churches having to turn to this and turn to entertainment and turn to the lights and turn to the emotion. Why? Because they've already not included God and they've rejected his word. Now I think the devil sits back this morning and he smiles. I think the devil, as he looks at America this morning, he sits back and he laughs. Why? Because we no longer include God. I saw a picture on Facebook. I, I believe it was real, but who knows? It had somebody marching in California with a sign that says, keep God out of California. And you look at the shape that California's in. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So the question is simply this this morning, who's going to smile? Who are we pleased today in the service? We can exclude God and say, you know what? I'm going to decide how to fix my own life and my own home and my own marriage. Go ahead and exclude God like David did. You will find yourself turning to the enemy for help. 
Or we could decide this morning, you know what? I know what thus saith the Lord. David says, it's kind of scary. This guy's trying to kill me. But God says I'm going to be king. God has already preordained that. And I'm just going to camp out behind the shield of God's word. You're going to please somebody today. I pray when we walk out those doors here in just a few moments that God's smiling because we have decided to turn to him. But understand this, if you walk out of those doors this morning and you decide, you know what, I'm not going to go God's way, you're going to climb over a whole pile of truth to get out of here. That's what David did. David had to trample a whole lot of God's word to come to the wrong decision that he came to. So this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let's stand together. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. There's three ways that you can make Satan smile today. He will smile because you excluded God.